HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and today we have Ryan Mills Knapp, the beverage director of Colicchio & Sons, in the studio with us. Excited Welcome. to be here. Thanks for having me, Joe. Excited to have you. I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of what you guys do over at Colicchio & Sons. Um, it's, uh, it's just such a great restaurant. The food's outstanding. It's such a comfortable and beautiful space. Uh, the service is awesome. And, and obviously I'm a big fan of, of your beverage program there. I appreciate it. Likewise, I often sort of take a look at what you're doing sometimes to kind of, you know, gauge what I'm doing around town. That's cool. So I'm excited to talk to you today about it. Wow. Well, that's, that's a big compliment coming from you. You're, uh, someone I look up to in the industry. You've, you've, uh, run quite a few, uh, very prestigious, uh, beverage programs, um, be- before, uh, Colicchio and Sons, you're at uh, Cortone and, and Tribeca Grill, which I think is like a Tribeca Grill, like just this legendary. Uh, you know, you, you had the, the the torch for for a time of a truly legendary program, and, and Cortone, what a what a special wineless that was. Yeah, that was a fun time. It was four years of uh, working for Drew, and you know, working with Paul Lee Brandt and working with that wineless at Tribeca Grill, where you really kind of are just a steward of things that all of these people that are so talented before you have built, and you just kind of want to keep it going, you know. So it was a lot of fun. You know, it's it's been a it's been a fun experience in New York. Yeah. Well, tell us uh, about how you got here. How you got to New York? You grew up. Uh, up in uh, Maine, right? In Maine, yeah. Um, I sort of was born in California and moved to Maine and when I was a kid and went to school in Pennsylvania. Um, and I wanted to be a diplomat when I was in college. I was like an international <laughs> politics major. And Did was, you want to just like cause a ruckus and get diplomatic immunity? <laughs> so you're like, I'm sorry, I punched <laughs> a nun. Diplomatic yeah. immunity. Kids were in the street. I didn't see them. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I just was into sort of travel and agriculture and, you know, politics and, you know, geography and all of that kind of thing. 
Um, and so, you know, I was taking the U.S. Foreign Service exam and, you know, realized that I probably need to go to graduate school. Like, I was hanging out with diplomats and stuff. And after, I was like, okay, I'll take a little time off and do some traveling around the country. And um, I moved to California and lived in San Diego for a while. And when I first got out there, my neighbors were sommeliers. Um, and I was selling office supplies. Um, and, so, <laughs> and you're like, I, I like the stuff that they sell a lot better than the yeah. stuff that I sell, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was like, you know, they'd come home at midnight and carry, you know, toting bottles of wine and steaks, and they'd like knock on our door and invite us over for dinner. And we we're like, hey, this job sort of seems like it's a lot of fun. Um, and then I sort of left California and moved to Maine and then moved to Jackson, Wyoming. And that whole time I just started to be around wine. And like it just um, – the people that were involved with it and the stories behind it started to seem more and more fascinating to me. Um, and then I was going to – I was back in Maine and I was going to go skiing in Jackson, Wyoming again. And I was dating this girl at the time that said, why don't you just move to New York and be a sommelier? And I was like – Okay, and that's kind of what happened. You know? It was that simple. So it was really it was just, that simple. And had you been working in restaurants at all? I had been because the coast of Maine where I'd grown up um, is very seasonal and there's lots of restaurant jobs in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would, you know, in between school and summer vacation, I would go back to Maine and wait tables to make money. Um, and the first, when I first started to get into wine, there's this guy who has an inn with a half a mile of shorefront property in Maine with cabins and he's a single guy and he's got a big wine collection and he's a heavy drinker. Um, and he would always like come back to the restaurant and like just grab bottles from the cellar and pop it open from us and like sit and talk to us about wine when I was like 21 or 20. Um, and sort of that's how I started to see it first, you know, like drinking Amarone at one in the morning with this, you know, single guy in Maine. So. <laughs> Well, what, what was your favorite pairing with uh, with a lobster roll? Since we're on, right? <laughs> well, you know, we would. Just... Does everyone who knows you're from Maine and that you're a beverage director ask you that question? By the way, is actually, super you know, um, we drank so much Geary's with lobster rolls. Like I've got like a, you know deep in my heart, like shipyard beer and Geary's beer and lobster rolls are like inseparable. You know, like that's sort of what I always think of when I think of lobster rolls. And then also, we used to at his restaurant, we used to um, do lobster bakes on the beach and like cook huge pots of mussels with like big magnums of Cabot Pinot Grigio. (laughs) So that was, you know, that's another sort of wine. Yeah. And I'm sure at that time you weren't like, this sucks. It was like, this is pretty freaking awesome. It's like, look at the size of this bottle. Yeah. You're on the beach and you're doing a lobster bake. Anything is going to be, yeah, Yeah. anything's going to be pretty tasty. So you moved to New York. Um, I know you worked at a restaurant that I really liked called the Muse. Yeah, that was for my first restaurant job. Um, It's kind of a funny story because when I first moved to the city, I wanted to get into the wine business. And I had gotten a job at this restaurant called Jefferson, um, which is, um, I think, Hill Country or something. It's it's next to Cafe Zahn and Rosemary's on, you know, there's a restaurant space there. So I had had a job there before I even moved to Maine. I mean, before I moved to New York, I was Mm -hmm. in Maine. um, And I was applying for jobs and, you know, they're like, hey, can you come and interview tomorrow? And I'm like, okay. So I just like got in my car and drove from Maine to New York City um, and interviewed. And they're like, okay, great. Um, Can you start? Can you start next week? And I was like, well, I have to sell my car and I got to like move out. Can you give me two weeks? And they're like, sure, no problem. So when I moved down here, um, the manager who had hired me had gotten fired. So I had no job at this restaurant anymore and was just like looking around for work. 
Um, and I applied for a job as a waiter at this restaurant called Amuse, and they, you know, interviews went well, and they're like, great, you know, can you start? By the way, why are you moving to New York City? And I was like, oh, I want to get into the wine business. And they were like, oh, funny, because the American Sommelier Association holds classes upstairs at our restaurant. You can take them for free. So unbeknownst to me, I kind of sort of stumbled into, you know, something that I wanted to do, and it sort of, you know, seemed like kismet, you know? Yeah, and this is uh, Andrew Bell. Andrew Bell, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, at that time, like Greg Harrington, who's a master sommelier, um, was teaching a lot of classes because wow. um, Andrew was having his first kid. So he's and his wife was, you know, sort of in the hospital and back and forth. And so um, Greg taught a lot of the classes, not to take anything away from um, Andrew, but, you know, Greg's a very, very smart guy and a very good educator. And I sort of feel lucky at the time to sort of learn a lot of wine, about wine from mm-hmm. him at the time. Yeah, I mean, I remember this restaurant uh, very well. I think I only went twice, probably, but mm-hmm. uh, beautiful bar. This big old wooden bar downstairs. Yeah. Um, and and the food was, was awesome. Yeah, this guy Jerry Hayden was a chef who has a restaurant called uh, North Fork Table on the North Fork Ola Long Island. And his uh, wife, Claudia Fleming, who is like one of the best pastry chefs in New York City, was a pastry chef there. Mm-hmm. So the food was outstanding. I mean, he was the, he worked at Oriole. He was Gramercy Tavern, you know, and um, his restaurant on the North Fork of Long Island was very good too. So he was there at the time, and the food was great. You know? Okay, so your next job in New York was at Beacon, uh, Waldy Malouf's mm-hmm. uh, restaurant. That was my first sommelier job. So I was a waiter at Amuse for maybe nine months, and then I finished the ASA class, and I just said, hey, I want a job as a sommelier. And this was 2004, 2005, so it was kind of in the midst of the boom and sommeliers or people <laughs> in New York City, you know? There had been people in the 90s, obviously, like Jean-Luc Ledoux and Daniel Jonas and those guys in Copac who had been sommeliers, but it wasn't, you know, a widespread job. So I kind of stumbled into it. I was like, I want to be a sommelier. And someone was like, perfect. You know, great. Why don't you come and do it? Um, and Beacon, that was that place, you know, and guy, this guy, Troy Weissman was the beverage director. Um, and it was, it's the sort of heyday of Beacon, um, in the early sort of two thousands, they were really busy and we were sort of building the wine program there. So that was my first sort of experience, you know, doing it at all. I didn't know anything about wine. I just wanted to know about wine. Um, and that's kind of how I got into it, you know, and I was willing to do whatever, you know. And I mean, you you worked your way up from there, and uh, how involved were you in kind of the the operations and the you know the stocking the cellar and and uh, I mean that was my job. I mean, <laughs> me getting hired as a sommelier was Troy's you know dream. It was like, okay, great, you're on board. I'm going to Germany, you know. <laughs> so like my first month, I'd like did inventory by myself, and you know, like because wow. he was just. Like overworked, and they were like, "Okay, if you're going to go to Germany, you need to hire a sommelier." And he's like, "Okay, great." So then he gets back, and he's like, "Why is inventory all messed up? <laughs> I've got no idea what I'm doing." Yes, first <laughs> you know? inventory. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how this works. Um, and so, you know, so I was pretty involved with it. And then he went um, afterwards to open to work for Jeffrey Zakarian at a restaurant called Town, which mm-hmm. is right was right next door. It's where Mapesh is now. Um, and I took over as the beverage director, you know, with relatively little experience and really. How long did you be in Somalia at this point? I don't know, six months. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a big learning curve, you know. Right. I mean, it's taken me almost a decade to, I mean, like I still feel like I'm learning every single day. So I look back at those times and I'm just like, man, I had no idea what I was doing, you know. But I wanted to do it and there wasn't a ton of other people that were like 
hey, hire me. So. Yeah, it's kind of like throwing you into the deep end mm-hmm. and like you sink or swim. Yeah. That's your only choices yeah. here. <laughs> I did a lot of sinking too you know, in those years. Oh, but. for sure. I, I made a ton of mistakes. Oh, yeah. the, like, I don't know, for me, uh, maybe may- placing an order where there was actually physically no space to receive it all. <laughs> You're like, wow, <laughs> I need to go into service and I can't walk around the wine room. Right, it's right. impossible. And then, yeah, I mean, I always remember, and I sort of do this to my sommeliers now, um, it's like the same thing. Like you order wine, there's no room. Beverage director comes down and goes, oh, there's plenty of room. You'll figure it out. And they're just like... <laughs> What are you talking about? There's no place to put any of this. So I, that's one thing I learned from him. I do that to my sommeliers now. They're like, Ryan, there's no place to put any of this. No, no, no. There's room. It's in there someplace. You'll, you'll figure it out. So what did you learn? What were your big lessons from your time there? So, times of- you know, I think one of the things that I learned that's super important um, when doing this for a career is when you're young and you're really excited about something um, – you feel like you need to educate everybody about it. You need to, you know, you you have a pulpit, you know, and you need to stand up and tell the world what you know because you're so excited about it. But it doesn't necessarily work like that, and people generally sometimes just don't care, you know. <laughs> and so, you know, I learned a lot about sort of speaking to guests of the restaurant and, like, gauging what people want to know and want to learn or whether they just are in a business dinner and they want to drink a bottle of Cabernet and, you know, do whatever. Like, there's a lot that I learned over, you know, over time about just what people are interested in talking about and, you know, how to deal with, you know, guests of yours, you know, and there's, you know, without being pedantic. Yeah. You know? We call we call that name that tune. So, you know, there's, like, that old 70s show, like, I can name that tune in three, in three chords <laughs> something like that yeah. so like we always try to figure out like why the guests are there as mm-hmm. soon as possible and then try to tailor what it is yeah to. for sure and some people love to talk about it and it's you know what they're into and they like to f- eat and drink and that's great you know but some people just really don't care you know and you need to figure that out pretty early so everyone can have a good experience you know yeah. when they come in so and so then you went from wine director at beacon to straight to myriad uh, no i worked at spice market for a while, uh, right. about a spice year market. yep um, with Bernie Sun. Um, and that was, a, that actually, that was a very, um, educational experience for me. That place is, you know, a machine. Um, it's so busy and they would do so many covers and it was, I learned a lot about sort of managing volume and managing costs and, you know, sort of how to order for a busy restaurant and how to keep things organized, you know, within bar programs and, you know, wine programs and beer and how to like sort of main, you know, mainstream stuff. So restaurants can be profitable. Um, you know, the John George group, those guys are all very smart and they have a pretty good system set up, you know? And so I learned a lot about systems, um, while working for those guys. Why hasn't Bernie Sun been on the show? You need to get Bernie on. Yeah. I mean, that guy has a lot of experience to talk about, you know, he would be an interesting guy to have in here and just like mine his experience. He's worked at Lespinas and, you know, like all of these like sort of old school French restaurants and Montrachet, you know, when they were here and like has had a lot of experience in that stuff. So. Yeah, we certainly had uh, people who've kind of come up and you know mm-hmm. through him, like like you and Risto. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, Bernie, if you're listening, this is an invitation to, <laughs> to the show. All right, we're gonna take a uh, a quick break, and we'll be back with more of Ryan Mills' nap of Clicio and Sons on In the Drink.
following is an actor reading an actual customer email from Heritage Foods USA. My family and I enjoyed the Heritage Turkey. It was far superior to the regular mass-produced turkeys in terms of flavor and texture. Absolutely delicious and worth the difference in price. We will never go back to the regular turkeys. It made our holidays more enjoyable. Thank you, Heritage Foods USA. Heritage Foods USA hopes you had a great holiday season. For more specials on pork, beef, and other meats, visit www.heritagefoodsusa.com. with Ryan Mills Knapp, the beverage director of Colicchio & Sons here on In The Drink. Uh, all right, Ryan, so now, so now tell us a little bit about uh, Colicchio. We're, we're all big fans uh, at the Epicurean Group. I know Gabe and Catherine, uh, my business partners, the chef and pastry chef, go for Thanksgiving every year. Um, I brought my, my beverage directors there for the holiday uh, a thank you this year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just uh, we, we are big fans of what you guys do. I appreciate it. Um, you know, it's out of all the restaurants that I've worked at, um, it's the most forward thinking um, and the most sort of driven to sort of change and make better. And sort of every day, you know, we talk about different ways to make people's experience grow and make people's, um, you know, time with us, you know, as special as possible. So it's been pretty dynamic and pretty fun that way. Um, I was hired sort of with a mandate um, from Tom and Grace and Jordan, who's the director of operations for the whole group, and Scott Sosman, who's the general manager, um, to sort of make Tom Colicchio, one, a Tom Colicchio restaurant a wine destination. Um, and I, you know, I think craft is that as well, but you know, I think one of the ways you make one restaurant a wine destination is to make some of the other ones a wine destination as well, so people start to think about it. Um, and in that sense, it's been a dream job. They you know, have given me basically free reign to, you know, be as creative or um, forward thinking as possible um, and just have let me do whatever I wanted to do. So I've been able, after working at Tribeca Grill, which was such an, uh, such a big learning experience and such an important part of my career, but I was really sort of a steward of a wine list that had been created for a long time. This has been the first job that I've just been able to sort of freely create and do what, whatever it is I've wanted to do. One of the cool things about that list at Tribeca Grill is that like, if you know what you're looking for, you can find wine that maybe they bought like five or ten years ago that has some age on it that the price hasn't changed Absolutely. in all that time, which, which is really fun. Um, and I, I know that you're a big fan of back vintage wines mm-hmm. as well, and you've increased the amount of those on your list. Yeah, I mean, I've, that's my obsession with wine. I mean, a lot of sommeliers have a lot of things that they get into, but I love old wine. Um, and I want to, you know, I think a lot of the time when old wine is on wine lists, um, it tends to be too expensive you know and i want people to have that experience to drink wine that's old like 10 15 30 40 years old at prices that are accessible that are the same price as wines that are five or ten years old and that's sort of a little bit of a 
difficult dream to imagine, and it takes a lot of patience and shopping. Um, but that's what I took away from Tribeca Grill is there's still all these wines on the list that are ridiculously, stupidly cheap. Um, and I sort of want my wine list to be that way, too. People yeah. to go there and be like, you've got the what for how much? You know, um, That's the best when someone knows and then and, and they're like... Like, oh my God, you, you're only charging that for yeah. it? Are you and, sure this isn't a typo? Yeah, yeah. and that, that's great. Uh, you know, I, I share that, that interest with you when there was a time at Del Anima where I had wine, the red wines by the glass were all from the 90s. That's awesome. And uh, it definitely took work and yeah. digging to keep that up, and I think we had it for like like three or four months, yeah. uh, but that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to keep it up because people are voracious, you know, and restaurants are busy, but you sell a lot of wine and, you know, sell a lot of old wine, so it's sort of something that I spend a lot of time on a daily basis doing is trying to source stuff for, you know, for the restaurant. So. And what are some of your sources? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm I not can, telling you. You and I can talk <laughs> offline about that, I think. Uh, so what is the oldest wine you've ever had? Um... The oldest still wine I've ever had um, was 1880. Um, we drank a bottle. At, um, have you been to Tomasa's and Diker Heights? No. Um, there's a pizza. It's sort of an old school Brooklyn Italian restaurant um, that has a crazy wine cellar. Um, Tommaso is a big jovial sort of Italian guy um, who's been collecting wine but not selling any of it for quite a long time. Kind of like the Manducatis. A little bit, yeah. But you know, sort of. Um, even maybe lesser known. There's some people that, I mean, I know some people that go out, but there's, there's some banker guys that I know that we would go out with. And we went down to the cellar one time and there was a bottle of 1880 Drouin Chambertin that we, um, we bought up and brought up and drank. It had been recorked in the fifties and filled back up with marbles to bring the level back up to the, uh, no to the top way. Of yeah. <laughs> and so, I've never heard of that. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I've seen it a couple of times working Paul's where you'll get like some wines from the twenties that were recorked. Um, um, you know, by people's butlers and stuff like that. And, you know, they use glass beads to f- bring the fill level back up so there's no space between the top. Yeah, and, rather than topping off yeah, with yeah. The, the current vintage or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it was good. So that's the oldest bottle of How was that drinking? Was it, was it was it good. Lot? It was sort of mushroomy and red fruit for about 10 minutes. And then after and that, like, you know, it was the end of it. But, like, as a sort of uh, a piece of history, it was, you know, it was brilliant. So... And have you had any like these older Madeiras that that you see floating? Yeah, I've had some. That? Yeah, early eighteen hundred stuff, eighteen eleven. Um, had some eighteen forty five and fifty six. Um, uh-huh. You know, at various lunches and things like that. And those are you know those are always fascinatingly good wines. You know, they're like the eighteen forty five um, Madeira that I had. It was at a Zaki's lunch, and it was breathtaking. Um, really, really stunning. Wow. So. It, I mean. You know the the thing that that makes me so like surprised. Like you you know that there's going to be acidity because you you know that Madeira is supposed to have acidity as mm-hmm. as it ages, but it really does have it. Like yeah, even you know a hundred years later, it's that's insane. that's the greatest wine in the world that people don't drink enough of. Um, I'm convinced of it. The wines are indestructible. That's the one of the few things that improves with age, maybe forever. You know, um, you know, and the prices, I mean, you know, obviously bottles of wine from the 1850s are not cheap, but, you know, you can still drink Madeira from the 50s and 1950s and 60s um, for reasonable prices compared to, you know, Bordeaux or Burgundy or anything like that. Yeah. um, Speaking of Burgundy, one of my one of my favorite things that happens at uh, at Colicchio is uh, at least the last two years, you guys have done the verticals tasting for the Paulet there, which uh, I encourage 
everyone to, you know, if you, if you have any interest in learning about Burgundy, it's not a cheap ticket, but it's worth every penny. It's all these top winemakers are there, and they all bring three vintages of mm-hmm. their of their wines. The Palais is a fantastic event. Um, one of the th- things that I count myself lucky in is that you know, Daniel Jonas and David Gordon and those guys uh, invited me to do it relatively early on and like the most some of the most educational and mind-blowing and fascinating experiences that I've had with wine have been through, you know, the Palais and drinking wines of, you know, sort of unparalleled quality. Um, so, you know, it's been fun that Daniel's um, done the vertical tasting with us. We've felt lucky about it. So. Yeah. And uh, if any of you guys are going to be in uh, San Francisco, you'll see both Ryan and I at the San Francisco mm-hmm. Poly. I also feel mm-hmm. quite fortunate, and I still feel like it's undeserved that I'm part of that group, but I'll, I'll take it. I'm yeah, not complaining. Me either. <laughs> so, the San Francisco one's great, too, because we could be on vacation, you know? So yeah. A little bit, so. Oh, it's true. And in New York, you know, I'm, I'm at, at the restaurant all day, yeah. jump out for a poly event, go back to the restaurant. Yeah. So uh, if you guys see us in San Francisco, we'll be very relaxed. So. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we'll absolutely. Uh, we'd love to see you. That'd be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what, uh, what do you guys have coming up? Um, well, I'm trying to win a grand award at, um, <laughs> at Colicchio and Sons right now through Wine Spectator, um, which is a, an undertaking in of itself. I mean, the logistical aspects of, you know, all of that wine are a challenge and sourcing all of it. So basically that's what, you know, my year this year is focused on that, um, and so just in short, sheer volume, have you increased the number of selections or total bottles? Yeah, value-wise, you know, value it's about three times as it was, the size wow. as when I started. Um, and it was, it's probably about twice the size in um, individual labels um, or so, which means I need to probably double it again um, to win a grand award. We had one at Tribeca Grill. Um, we had about 2,000 labels on the list. Um, right, up, right now, I've got it in between 900 and 1,000 on the list at Click Your Own Sons. And so, um, so that's the goal this year is to try to find a place, the space and labels for 1,000. Are you going to do some off-site storage? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so. Um, I've... I, I know um, a lot of you know the sort of larger wine lists that in restaurants um, in the city do that. I'm probably going to have to. Um, I don't know. I, I need to figure it out. Um, you know, and see where not you know, where I'm going to put all this stuff. Del Posto, who's next door to us, has a pretty large um, wine list as well, and I know they have a lot of stuff offsite. Yeah, that, I mean that's going to be what a great wine drinking block yeah, yeah between you and Del. that's insane <laughs> that's the idea i mean i think there's it's also with toro going in in the building um with the new museum that's going in the getty museum down the street from us um the guys who open toro are putting a club in on 16th street so um in the same building so there's going to be you know sort of a lot of action coming over to see us you know wow. on, over on the river and then i heard about uh, a project on the other side of the west side highway there's they're going to do some retail over there apparently yeah and then also right underneath the highline across the street i think they're maybe putting a restaurant and more retail in 
um, on the south side of 15th Street, like built underneath a high line in like a wow. big glass sort of enclosure. So that part of the city, and I think there's another hotel going into. So I think that there's a lot going on, you know, over near the river on 10th Avenue. So yeah, you know, we're excited about that. You know, the guys at Toro, um, you know, we couldn't be more happy that they're in there. I just went there for dinner, boy. That was delicious. Ken Oranger is the <laughs> nicest guy in the world. I got to tell you, for a guy who's like the king of Boston, he could not be more low key. And you know, we wish those guys all success. They could not. Him and Jamie could not be nicer guys. And the food there is delicious. And so, yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely delicious. Yeah. So I guess like northern meat. I guess you guys are Chelsea. I guess I don't know. Not, like, I mean, I guess officially it's a meatpacking district, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah, not so not much. just for for girls uh, in heels <laughs> tripping over cobblestone anymore. Now right. this is a wine and and dining destination for sure. Yeah, you know, I think there's a li- that building um, was where the Oreo cookie was invented. No was way. A, yeah, it's a former Dubisco factory, both Chelsea Market and like the building that we're in. Um, and so like I feel like there's a little bit of a sort of a, a food history, you know, that's in that building and we kind of want to I don't know. From my perspective, it's like, okay, well, let's create some more, you know. And uh, the, one last question. As you're going towards this this grand award, are you still maintaining uh, – I know one of the things that I've always loved about uh, Cliquey & Sons is the, the tap room and just this awesome beer selection mm-hmm. you guys have had. Is that still going to be a prominent part about what you, what you guys do? Absolutely. I mean my goal for that for that restaurant is to have it be the place to drink you know, in New York City, whether it's whether you want a beer for 5 bucks or you want a bottle of something for 5000 like, or even just like an r- excellent cocktail. You know, We want to keep all of that going. So the ambiance of the tap room and the food and the sort of all of the beer taps that we have going there is something that I think is one of the special parts of the restaurant, and we definitely want to keep that going. Yeah, and I love how how, – refined the back room is and how how approachable and casual the front room is. I know I came from – there was one day that I I was was working my friend's food truck down – down in the Rockaways, and there it was. It was after Sandy, and we were we were grilling up stuff all day, and we had like smoke from the grill all over us, and we didn't have time to go home and change. We were in like sweats, and uh, boy, we went to we went to the the tap room after, and uh, just completely welcomed, like, and felt very very comfortable, even though we were disgusting human beings <laughs> yeah, absolutely like, sweaty and gross and disgusting. yeah you know i think we want the ethos of the restaurant to remain the same between the two places we want you know the service to be warm but not stuffy we want people to come in and feel comfortable like they're at home and like you know from our perspective there's really kind of no difference it's just the mood that you're in you know between the two restaurants if you want to sort of sit and dine then you know come and eat in the main dining room if you need to you know, just grab a bite to eat, you know, and like have a couple beers at tap rooms for that. You know, we want to make the restaurant as democratic as possible in that yeah. sort of sense. And I think the tap room is kind of one of my favorite parts of the restaurant. And, and I think you guys are killing it. So I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> thank you so much. Uh, Ryan Mills Knapp, beverage director of Colicchio and Sons. Check it out. Thanks, uh, and thank you guys so much for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, 
or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.